Welcome to Footnotes in Witness. I'm Deborah J. McKenzie, and this is the podcast where we study the Bible to see Jesus rightly and find Him in our own stories. Let us be faithful witnesses to His character and glory. So we've been talking about all the different ways to look at biblical narrative. All the like nerdy grammar stuff is super fun, but the basics really is what's important. Let's just get through that stuff. The characters, the setting, and the events. So last week we talked about the characters, how to look up different words, how to keep track of your character sheets, and hopefully that's been helpful. Today we're going to talk about the setting. And remember, that can be a time or a place. There are so many different settings that are given to us in the Bible that actually repeat, and they set up themes for us. Maybe you can already think of a few places that repeat often in scripture. There's places like gardens, fields, Egypt, to the east, just to name a few. And even in our nativity story, we have a couple of those thematic settings. The shepherds witness angels rejoicing in a field. Wise men come from the east. Mary and Joseph and Jesus Christ have to hide in Egypt to escape Herod. And as the history builds throughout these settings, you come to have certain expectations about them. So then when we get to Jesus's story and those expectations are not met, we take notice. So let's start with Egypt. It's a really good example to kind of see what I'm talking about. There's a reason why we keep track of the settings and the things that have happened in those places. So Egypt is mentioned 24 times in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, it's mentioned 570 times. Yeah, that's a lot. There's a lot that happened there, and it's a really important place. So it's probably something we should pay attention to. Anytime you see something repeated in scripture over and over again, that's the alert to pay attention to that thing. So the first mention of the setting of Egypt is in Genesis 12, 10, and it says there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for a famine was severe in the land. So Egypt is a place of temporary shelter. We see that here with Abram. We're going to see it again with Moses, whenever the people have been enslaved in Egypt and that the Pharaoh is killing the babies and Moses is actually going to find temporary shelter in the palace of Egypt. And because he's saved, he's going to be used by God to save his people. And then we actually see it again in our nativity scene here with Jesus Christ as he hides from Herod. This theme is building about Egypt. It is a temporary place where God's people can find some like rescue. There's several famines that ends up being a place where people can go and survive the famine. But unfortunately, their temporary rescue is intended to just be that temporary. But so often God's people become enslaved. When they become enslaved, they are brought under oppression and slavery And we see several times that they then become slaves of the culture of Egypt, and they're going to be oppressed spiritually and physically. So the scripture in our Christmas story is Matthew 2, verses 13 through 15. I'm reading from the ESV version. So in verse 13, it starts, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, 
Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child, to destroy him. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken about by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. So, out of Egypt I called my son, most likely in your translation, is in actual quotes. So, this is a great inductive Bible study method tool. If you see part of your scripture in quotes, that means it's being quoted from another part of scripture. So look at those tiny little little notes on the side, your cross references, and go and look that up and read it in context. So what we have here is a quote from Hosea, Hosea 11 verse 1. And Hosea says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, the book of Hosea is full of prophecy and poetry, and it places all of God's people in a metaphor. It places the people of God as an adulterous wife and this poor husband who is having to deal with this adulterous wife being betrayed over and over and over again is betrayed as God. And so there's this huge metaphor going throughout the whole book of Hosea. And so what we have here is this um, idea that God is going to call his people over and over and over again, and yet they will continue to betray God. And in the book of Hosea, it's to their ultimate destruction. They lose their kingdom. They are taken over by their surrounding kingdoms. And the book of Hosea is this like really painful story of how bad the people failed. And yet God wants so much to leave a remnant. And so even though they go through this really difficult time, God is always going to leave a remnant of his people that he pursues those that he loves relentlessly. And even though they continue to betray him over and over and over again, he's going to find a way for his people to survive. When we have this quote in the nativity scene from Hosea, he says, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. He said, they, they were there. They were in oppression and I called them out. I did that. I, I want my people. And so we can see through this theme of Egypt that whatever's happening with Jesus, with this baby, is that God is preserving his people. And we know that because we know the backstory of Egypt and Hosea. And so that's why it's so important to understand settings. It's because they give context. They kind of help you see what the situation is that the scriptures you're reading are talking about. All these prophecies are going to come to fruition in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what a relief. Like some of these prophecies are really hard to read. And some of them feel like it's never going to be okay. The book of Hosea is a hard read if you haven't read it before. I definitely encourage it. I think it is life changing. But it's also just really hard to see just how bad people fail, like how terrible human nature really is and how forgiving and how loving God is. So there is this like redemption in that. And so we're correlating that part of old prophecy with this new baby that's coming. So that gives us context. I don't know what's going to happen with Jesus, but he's being lined up 
with God's perseverance for his love of his people. What a relief. Like That's awesome. And we get all of that from just knowing the context of this Old Testament book and what Egypt means. Because every time we see Egypt, there's pain and suffering and God has to come in and rescue. And so this little reminder is that God does rescue. It's not that he has to and that people are always going to fail and oh, woe is us. It's that we have a God that no matter what happens, he will come to our rescue and Jesus is going to have something to do with that. So when we see this prophecy, whenever we see this quote about Egypt, we can think about the theme of what we know about Egypt and that helps give us the context for what this baby is all about. This place, Egypt, it has bested God's people over and over, but not this time. Jesus is going to be successful where all of us, all of God's people have failed numerous times before. Joseph is taking his family and they're hiding in Egypt. And Herod knows that he's been tricked. He's furious. And he, in Matthew 2, says that he kills every child under the age of two in that region. Matthew 2, verse 19, Joseph sees again what he needs to do and can discern it and is obedient to it. So this is in verse 19. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. But he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So now we see multiple locations and that God is going to save his people and the way that he's going to prepare for all of his people to be saved is by saving that one out of Egypt in Jesus Christ. And he's going to protect him instead of going to like the main capital city of Judea. They're going to go to the hill country. They're going to be safe in Galilee and he's going to be a Nazarene. And there's a whole backstory about Nazarite law and kind of the oath. And that's a whole thing that you can definitely spend some time in a rabbit hole in, which is super fun. But that place of Nazareth, we know is going to come up multiple times too. So it's worth just like looking up our character names, looking up these places and seeing what are they actually defined as. So whenever you click on your scripture and click on the interlinear and blue letter Bible, you can look at the definition of the word. So in that definition, that's also where I get the number of times that a word is used. It will tell you in that interlinear page on the definition page, how many times that word is used in New Testament and Old Testament and Greek or Hebrew, depending on what you're looking at. So for example, Egypt means the land of the cops, which is the type of people, but its root word means to siege 
or entrenchment. So to siege, like if you think back to your medieval studies, there would be like a castle and there's walls all around it. And to siege it would be to surround it and basically wait, starve out the people until they would have to leave because they ran out of resources inside the city. So to bind or to show hostility to to siege something. That's literally what the name Egypt, its root word means. And so we see that throughout the theme. And it's really fun to like look those things up. Names have meaning, especially in the Bible. So another really fun resource is a Bible atlas. And I'm going to list two different ones down in the show notes, where it's just a massive book, basically. And an atlas is like a list of every place that's listed and has like a little synopsis or a little summary of the events that happened there. So if you're thinking, oh my gosh, I need to get every single place in the Bible down in my notebook and I need to look up every single word and I need to list everything that happened and like that's going to take you a really, really long time. And there are people who have dedicated their lives to doing such a thing. I think it is worth making your own notes. Yes, absolutely. Just like our characters, like I think it's worth making your own character sheet. But there are definitely books that you can buy, like who's who in the Bible or women in the Bible. But they do come with, you know, kind of their own opinions about things. Atlases tend to be a little bit more historical across the board. And they're going to come with lots of like cool archaeological information because settings in particular are things that we can point to right now in in modern day history we have archaeological digs and historical finds where we can we can point to israel and we can say yes absolutely this happened at this time and so atlases are a really good resource because they can tend to be a little bit more academic and a little bit less of having to kind of muddle your way through different people's opinions So I'm going to list a couple in the episode show notes. I have a big one that I got for Christmas a couple years ago, which I love. It's the ESV Bible Atlas. It's a huge book. And I definitely have not looked through the whole thing. But it's such a great resource to have, especially when you're studying your Bible. Now, I tend to use green highlighters and pens when I'm marking up my text for settings. Like I'm always going to either circle or highlight or underline the place in green. And because I'm a little bit more consistent with that particular color, I always know if there's a place in the scripture that I'm reading because it jumps out on the page to me. So it doesn't really matter how you use these different study methods. I just want to make sure that you have access. Like what I said before about people sitting with me and giving me resources. I really do pray and hope that that's what this can be for you. Sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. And it's really good to know what we don't know because we can say like, oh, I don't know anything about prophecy. And so I might be a little bit more cautious to take people's opinions on prophecy because I have no way of discerning for myself if their theology is correct if I know that that's a place of weakness for me. And so I might actually read a few more commentaries or devotionals on books of the Bible that I'm more comfortable with and have spent more time studying, because then I can feel like for myself, I can trust the discernment of being able to listen to the Holy Spirit a little bit better, because I know a little bit more 
of what the context is. So sometimes it's really good to just know what you don't know. And so I like with places, if history is not your jam, if you don't, archaeology is not your jam, if you don't watch, you know, like all the Egyptian documentaries about pharaohs and stuff like that, that's totally fine. <laughs> Get yourself an atlas. That's know where you need help in your study. Now, I asked you at the beginning of this season to make a plan. And so I'm going to remind you right now and ask you again, have you made that plan? Have you made your Bible study plan? Have you put in your calendar time to study your Bible? I'm guessing if you haven't, you also haven't studied. Because by the way, listening to me is not Bible study. (laughs) This is an informational time to get some resources. I have been blessed and gifted with resources and mentoring, and I feel a burden to pass that along. But your study time needs to be your time with God. And so I want you to put that in your calendar and make it a priority because it is a relationship and that takes time. So I want you to make sure that you have time for study and you have time for reading. Even if it's only once a month, make a plan to start with a book of the Bible any book of the Bible, doesn't matter which one. Um, If you want to be really overzealous and you want to pick a really big book, then just know that you might need to take a break from time to time. It may be really tedious or it may be really intimidating or it may get really boring. So for example, when I decided to tackle 1 Samuel, I took a break like every four weeks and studied a psalm and then came back to it. Because that way I could like keep going. That's a really big book. But you can start with Genesis. Uh, if you don't want to start in, in OT, start in NT and start with John. John's a really great place to start. And take a look at whatever book you're going to start with. And for me, I find that taking books in their entirety is really helpful because you're going to get a better sense of the author, of the setting, of the characters, of the narrative, of how it was written than doing like chapters at a time. Like I think a whole book is, in my opinion, the best way to study. Just decide however you want to take notes for this study time. So that's not your reading time. That's not when you're just sitting and reading the Bible like every single day, maybe once a week, maybe only once a month, but have time, like an hour set out where you can sit and study. And it may be on a sheet of notebook paper. It may be in a cute little notebook. It may be on your computer where you take notes. Maybe you're really good at that. I have a a digital paper tablet called a Remarkable. That was life-changing. I love it. I take all my notes on that. So however it is, whenever you start with a book, just start at the top of the page and you're going to write who is talking. So who's the author? Who wrote this book? So who is talking? And then on the next line, you're going to write to whom? Who, who is the intended audience for this book? Who is listening? Who is this book written to? And where is this happening? Or when is this happening? And then you're going to write characters. And then you're going to make a list. And every time you come across a character, you're going to go back to that first page and just add the name. And then you can make character sheets if you want to, like uh, we talked about last week, and hopefully they were in the show notes and it was easy to find. I'm not really good at technology, you guys. I'm trying really hard. If you didn't 
find a way to get the character sheets and you would like a PDF sent to you, you can always email me at footnotesandwitness at gmail.com or go to my website, which is deborahjmckenzie.com. And those two links are going to be down in the show notes as well. But whatever it is that helps you study, it's worth it. It's worth the time and the investment because this is complicated literature and just reading it is good, but you can get so much more by just taking a few notes, by making a few observations. And I'm betting that between your job and your kids and your family and your drama and your pets and all the other things that you need to take care of, you're not necessarily going to remember how many times Egypt is mentioned in OT or what exactly the root word means. (laughs) Notes are really helpful. They help you learn things better because now you've written it down and you've watched it. As you've written it down, it engages more parts of your brain. That's why when you're in school, you take notes. It helps you learn it for the long term. So yes, I am a homeschool mom, so I fervently believe in taking notes and I love it, but I hope that it can be helpful for you as well because seeing God's character is worth taking note. Like seeing how the creator of the universe loves and cares about you and wants to save a remnant of his people so he can be with them. Like that's worth taking some notes, don't you think? I, I do. I, I think he's worth it. And that is really good news. 